Well, my name is Dr. Venus Miller. I'm a family and psychiatric nurse practitioner. Long path, a long road to get there. I didn't even really know what my passion was yet. Um, I had a lot of trauma in my life, so I had a struggle just a little bit starting to get to know where I was. I was great until five years old. So at five years old, my father would take my mother's life from domestic violence. And I didn't know that I was impacted until I got into a little bit later on. And so because that impact happened, my father went to jail, my mother, you know, um, her life was over. And so we had to go to different homes. Already I'm five, so I'm like, where's my mom? At five years old, he's supposed to be playing with baby dolls. So I got shifted into like, grow up real quick. Got into my next family's house and there was some abuse there. And there was some physical violence, sexual violence and emotional violence going on there. I still didn't know I was impacted. Yet I grew up a little bit more had some more of that trauma going on until it normalized for me and I thought that's what normal life was. I still don't know that I'm impacted. And so at about 10, no, at about 12 or 13 years old, I would tell my aunt what was going on. She didn't believe me. And my, by the time my dad was out of jail, we back to my dad and he was still with the same behavior. He just had another woman he was doing domestic violence on. I never thought I would do psychiatry though, very far from my mind. Um, but my passion is helping people recover after trauma and go on with their lives. Very difficult process, a long process, but it is possible. So my passion is just people. And, and give them the truth about, you know, what violence does and what trauma does is impactful. Trying to get them to understand that if we as a people, if we as a nation start to deal with the issue when it's small, we won't have the big explosions when we're older. So that's my passion. How's it going, powerful people? My name is Edward Giles, and thank you for tuning in to another episode here on the Unlimited Power Show. Without any further ado, I would like to tell you what the show is about. The show is all about personal growth and development, and we do that by bringing people in their process or experts in their field or people with a strong desire to fulfill something worth fulfilling here in this earth. My name is Edward Giles, and today I'm sitting with Venus Miller, Dr. Venus Miller, and she'll tell you a little bit more about what she's passionate about and what she does as she introduces herself. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> good, good, good. So why don't you tell us more about you, what you're passionate about, and give us a solid introduction about yourself. Okay. Well, my name is Dr. Venus Miller. I'm a family and psychiatric nurse practitioner. Long path, a long road to get there. I didn't even really know what my passion was yet. Um, I had a lot of trauma in my life, so I had a struggle just a little bit starting to get to know where I was. I never thought I would do psychiatry though, very far from my mind. Um, but my passion is helping people recover after trauma and go on with their lives. Very difficult process, a long process, but it is possible. So my passion is just people and, and give them the truth about, you know, what violence does and what trauma does is impactful trying to get them to understand that if we as a people, if we as a nation start to deal with the issue when it's small, we won't have the big explosions when we're older. So that's my passion. When we talk about trauma, I mean the word trauma can mean a lot of things. Like you yes. have a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Or you had a traumatic experience. Correct. But what exactly is trauma? Trauma is anything that causes a person to change in a drastic, frightening, um, emotional, impactful way. Trauma is something that's normally unexpected. Trauma is something that will shift a person's total atmosphere. Trauma is something most of the time that is mental. And the one thing we do, you know, you have surgeries, you have, you know, all these things you can do, but the one thing they cannot do is take somebody's mind out and make them forget that. So the trauma of the mind is, is one of the most difficult things. So trauma to me is anything that impacts you mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally. And that can be from a child's death to a mother's death to a car accident. Like you said, it can be just one injury. It can be one thing. It can be someone robbing someone. That instant changes someone's life. So everybody's trauma is different. And what trauma does to each person is different. You know, trauma can have someone 
become an overcomer, then become a motivational speaker, then really exceed and give back. And trauma can have someone on the street using drugs for the rest of their lives. So trauma is, like you said, it's a big general word, but it's very impactful. Mm. So there's the physical and the deeper layers of trauma. What I got from what you said about the traumatic brain injury is that not only is it physical, but it's also mental. Yes. In that state, when you're saying a traumatic brain injury, you're hurting the organ, but at the same time, correct. there's an imbalance in the brain. That's correct. Now, if we're still on that same track and keep it away from traumatic brain injury and just look at a different form of injury, it could be emotional that abuse. That is correct. So tell us about the correlation between the Ooh. physical trauma and the emotional trauma. One of the things as I grew through my trauma, I started to realize that I had a heart-mind-body interaction which means that my heart was impacted. It stayed in my mind and I would physically react to it. Example, if I would see somebody yelling at a woman, automatically my heart would hurt because I lost my mom to that. Then I would begin to cry, a physical thing, and then I would be able to have the nightmares and the remembering. So everything is connected. We say to some people, they get depressed, they start eating, they get more and more obese, they can't stop that behavior, that's their soothing thing. So there is connection between the mind and our actions. If I would say scripture says, the scripture says, as a man thinketh, so is he. But anything you think you can do or cannot do, it manifests in your actions. So if I think I can pass this test, I'm, I'm going to pass it. But if I go in saying I just can't do it, can't do it. So the mind, even though it's not seen on the outside, we see the physical things. And we've taught from little people or little young people that you make sure you dress well, you brush your teeth, you make sure you be quiet, you make sure you button your pants, pull up your pants. But no one tells us that when our heart hurts. I can't put pants on my mind. I can't, and we almost ignore it. And so we've taught to, you're gonna get over it, but you never really deal with it. So after a while, physically, some people don't dress well anymore. They don't bathe anymore. They don't care about the way their, their hair looks. They don't care about their attire. And so anything that happens to your brain happens to you. It's a total impact. So when we talk about the brain, it's so difficult because we are so good as, as individuals. I know I learned from very young how to mask it because if you don't mask it, you get the punishment for not masking it, which means, oh, she's crazy, or she's gonna cry again. So we learn to mask it, and it comes out somewhere. There's only so much pressure anybody can take. For instance, we have sometimes individuals that go in and harm someone else, but they're millionaires, they drive the best cars, they live in the best houses in, the, in their whole family's lives. How can that be? What happened to the person? You have those people that awesome, outgoing, everybody's good, and they're totally depressed and they in their lives, but they're millionaires too. I tell people, mind and money doesn't go together. There is no amount of money can pay for you out of depression. There is no, you have to deal with that issue and that where the problem is. Because it's in my mind, my heart hurts, and I don't want to feel like that, so I avoid it. I don't want to, no, it's nothing wrong. People say, oh, I'm okay. And they're acting like a fool when you say you're okay. Because we've been learned to say, we had learned to, t to, to say that I'm okay because that is the ethical, moral, uh, grown-up, professional thing to do. But it is also the grown-up, professional thing to do to say, I have a problem. And if I don't solve this problem, somebody else could have a problem <laughs> or I'm going to have a problem. It's so stigmatized about the mind that people are often kind of scared to do it. They're scared to say, hey, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I'm thinking right or I can't get out of bed today or I'm still crying about this guy from seven years ago and I'm married again. People are scared to say it because when you say that, the stigma comes. People get embarrassed and it's a deeper depression that people go into. They eat more. They, they're, they're more violent or they sell drugs more or they use them in their arms more. The population I work in over town, I see it all. But when I sit them down for an assessment as a psychiatric nurse practitioner or the doctor, I always go back to their childhood and I say, tell me about that. And most of the time I get a big smile and then they say, until this happened, until that happened, until where the physical, emotional, sexual abuse happened, until my dad left, until my mom died, until I lost my baby, until I lost my job. Everyone comes in my office with a different trauma. And sometimes they get to deal with it in their 20s, but most of them after their 50s. 
but by then, how much have they destroyed? Mm. And in the 30-year gap between 20 and 50, what tremendous life. Tremendous, where your children are growing, where you, you're losing jobs, where you can't get a house, can't keep a lady, can't keep a man. Whatever you don't deal with, I said in my book, if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you. That means it's going to give you the blow that you're not willing to take. So if you don't deal with your anger, but you look very well and everything's fine, as long as I don't touch your right knee, I'm good. Because the minute I touch your right knee, it hurts. And so you react. You say, oh, I'm sorry about that. They go to the next person. They do the same thing, but you never really deal with it. You have to deal with it. Dealing with trauma or dealing with any, it could be, trauma does not have to be someone dying. Mm -hmm. Trauma can be, she doesn't like me anymore. Or, he doesn't like me anymore. Or I'm not cute enough. I don't look like her. One makes that traumatic. One because it's, it's, it's a rejection. It's a rejection. So rejection is a form of trauma. Yes, it is. For, for me, rejection is okay. You don't want to talk to me. For some person that already has it bad, low self-esteem or whatever, that one more rejection just takes them over. And see, I used to say, oh, that's just a little thing for you. But for someone who had their first boyfriend, he's everything, and he doesn't want to be with her anymore. She doesn't know what to do with that. Or he doesn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And they internalize. And they say, well, they don't like me. Then nobody likes me. Then no guy likes me. Then no girl likes me. And before you know it, they're in a total depression. And they look like some of the most amazing people. They don't feel that way. Especially, you say by the time they get to you, you say, oh, I don't want to be with you anymore. By now, they're about 20-something years old. But if you don't know a person's history, they have already been through that and haven't dealt with it. The rejection does not have to come from you. It could have started when they were young. And now you come along, and you're my friend. You're my friend. We share everything together. We do everything together. And then maybe you don't want to be my friend anymore. But I'm not able to do it because you're my only friend. So I tell people to watch the signs of when you're speaking to someone, even if you're dating someone, even if you're in a relationship of any kind. They will begin to tell you the signs. They'll begin to do things like, oh, that's odd. You know, you have my whole phone all night for three hours looking at every message, every detail. You went through all my pages. You, you've called everyone on my Facebook line because I love you. And then when it's time to leave, that same person harms you. So people normally show signs because they haven't gotten help. You know, God forbid if two people are in love and the one just starts to go the other way, sometimes the person that loves them doesn't know how to love them back to health because they just want them to be better. And so they allow the behavior. They allow you going through the phone. Okay, go through my phone so you'll feel better. Instead of saying that, that's not how we do it, you know. Sometimes if you're not able to help a person, you have to get them help. And when you're in love with someone, it's hard to help them because you're kind of like, eh, well, she'll be okay. I'll give her a hug or him a hug, you know. So... Any trauma, I tell people, another person I had, their trauma was somebody called them stupid all their life. So by the time they got to school and the guy called him stupid, he almost beat him to death. Because I wasn't going to have no one more person call me stupid. So he gets to me and I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you harm someone like that? He said, I didn't even really realize that I harmed him. All of I heard was that one more word. But all the other time, he's a good boy. He had good grades. He was in an awesome college. He was, he was the star. Until boom, that one instant took all that away from him. One instant, because all this time no one had called him stupid anymore until that guy called him stupid and it was a remembrance of his pain he had not dealt with. Absolutely. So your memory can become traumatic if that memory becomes you. Yes. yes. Some people don't let you'll say, man, I said that to you 20 years ago. How are you still mad at me? Because every day they relive it. They relive it. They live it. I talk about suicide a little bit um, because people who commit suicide are not always the people under the bridge. They're not the people using drugs either. They're the people that most of the time have everything going on. And they don't have one friend to just tell them that I love them. They're paying for it. They got everything. But they don't have the one person that ever gave them a hug. I had one guy say, you could take the money if you can get my dad just to give me a hug and stop buying me a car. I don't want another house. I want him to come and sit and have lunch with me. He's almost 60 years old with tears flooding down his face because his father never took the time to let him know he was more than money, even though the money was good. But that couldn't buy him what he was hurting, why he was putting the needles in his arm. And so people are like, oh, money would do everything for me. 
yeah, it's going to take care of some things. But it doesn't take care of everything. And, and someone's heart saying, I love you, saying, I'm sorry, saying, forgive me, is important to people. Not on the level of everybody. It may not mean anything for you if you say, oh, forgive me, but another person it does. That's why it's important to know people and to communicate with them. We lack communication. Oh, they're fine, they're cute, they're handsome. We do this, we go out to eat, we have fun. But you're not really talking to them. When you meet someone the next time, as I hear, hope people hear me on the broadcast, get a chance to communicate with them. I'm not saying you're going to meet some perfect person that walks like this. There is not one. But at least know the person's triggers. At least know, hey, you know, how'd it go? Try not to do the thing that hurt the person. Or, you know, tell me about your childhood. Or, you know, you don't have to say childhood, but have a communication and relationship with someone that you're not surprised. And if you see signs that just doesn't look well to you, take a step back. You have to get them help. Go with them if you're that close to them. But don't leave them stranded and don't ignore it because it's going to keep coming out. Some people do that, then they have children. What do you think that happens to the children? They don't know how to talk to them. They're cursing them out. They're calling them stupid. I hate you. I don't believe you did that. You so a dumb ass. the same thing that happened to you too. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. If I never learned how to read, how am I going to teach you how to read? You give me a paper. Mommy, can you read this? I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So since I didn't take care of my, my reading abilities, now I have a son who wants me to help him with his ABCs, but really mommy can't read. And so because she can't read, she's aggravated. Now the child is reading, speaking English and Spanish to a mother who knows nothing. So she gets agitated and then sometimes a little physical. And so the behavior, if you don't learn how to deal with stressors, they're going to come out the wrong way. You know, oh, man, that person, everyone says it's about somebody. Oh, you're crazy, because they can go from zero to a billion in seven seconds. Can go off on somebody in the store because somebody said hello. So it's like, what? What's going on? Um, so a person's behavior and who they are and their makeup deals with their childhood specifically. Specific, from the time the mother pushes the child out, was the father there? So if he's not there, the child grows to know that he's not there. But who's going to be there? He's going to find somebody. Is it the gang? Are you going to replace it? Is he okay with it? Is he not? He's going to be mad at every father. He's going to be angry for the rest of his life. Or are you going to talk to your son and say, hey, son, what do you need? Don't just think he's a man. You're a man. Grow up. He's like 12. He's not a man. He still needs his father. But if the woman doesn't know to communicate that to him, then he becomes angry about that. And you have an angry male. And they're not good on the street or no other, no other place. Because they can't so have a conversation with them. the angry black male, black, black man comes Yeah, exactly. Because I, I, and when I talk about people, talk to people about that, just like the angry black female, why are you that angry? How you have an attitude you just woke up? Who taught you to have it? Where did you get that from? Mm -hmm. When you see a person with an attitude, most of the time it's their own insecurity, and that's just like a buffer. And they're so direct sometimes that it kind of makes people go away from them or they just give them what they want just to, so they don't say nothing because you're embarrassing. But that's not the way to handle that. If you have an issue with your mouth, you have an issue with your mouth. But people are afraid to say anything because people are not like they were at least back in my day. They just pick up weapons and you're out of here. Right? So how can we have a communication with a nation that's already violent? These babies are violent. Three and four years old, they're already fighting. Fighting in school. I get used to seeing the cartoon hit the other cartoon on the head. So when I see it on the street, it's normal. So then they pick up their phone and they do what? They videotape. People die and they video. Oh, look at this. And they make and they make billions of views off of that. That makes them feel popular. Forget the morals that you just watch somebody die. It just means somebody's gonna like me when you press like. And everyone's gonna come to my page. So tomorrow I gotta get something more violent. I gotta say more. I mean, that's how you see in people's Instagram feeds. You know, if I post these types of pictures, right, it's right. the picture you're gonna see because that's the likes value. Exactly. Man. So I'm gonna become that. I also see that exactly. with influencers. Like if I make these types of funny videos, yes, I have to put myself in this box and every time in order for you to like me. Exactly. So we, don't we do the same thing? as far as like emotionally, as far as our relationships yep. as well, like putting ourselves in a box, like uh, this is how it's supposed to work out. Yep. 
it's like, okay, I know he likes this, so let me wear this even though I don't wear it. Let me do this even though I don't do it because he's going to like me. No, this is who I am. And I had to learn to tell people I don't like that. I was like 35 and the first time I told somebody I like something was I was so used to like, okay, well, all right. It's not that bad. But in my gut, I was like, I don't want to do that. But if I don't do that, it's not going to like me. Even adults do that. And we, everybody says, I don't care what you say. <laughs> you care what they say. <laughs> I don't care. You don't have to like me. I don't care if you like me. But there is nobody on this earth that doesn't want to be like. I don't know nobody that just wants to sit in the corner and say, don't like me, don't like me, don't like me. But it's a familiar word. I'm fine, even though you're going to hurt yourself. I'm fine, even though you're beating up your girlfriend or beating up your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Where you get that from? You could be starving or something. I'm fine. You're about to die in like two seconds. You see them eating water coming out of your eyes and your mouth. And you're like, no, I'm fine. We learn that behavior because we're very private people. We don't want you to know. I'm in the bed dying. But I won't call you because I don't want to bother you. You're dying. Where do we get that from? All that's the brain and the mind. Who taught you that? No, you can't let anybody in your house. They're going to steal something. Or they're going to steal your boyfriend. They're going to steal your mm -hmm. And so you, what we teach our children make our children. I can make my child very anxious. I can make her very confident. Don't go outside. Don't talk to boys. Don't ever talk to boys. Don't ever talk to boys for the rest of your life. And so she stays with me until she's 50. You told me not to talk to boys, and you block it. One thing about children, I don't care if they're older children. Every child wants to please the parent. Just to say I did a good job. It just does something for us, and it's supposed to be that way. They say the first seven years is makes majority of the child's ninety five percent of adult life is based on your seven years of yes as you grow your, your brain at three years old already know you already can kind of shape where the child's gonna go you know what are you what are you doing at three years old are you yelling at mom is mom yelling at you and so you can teach your daughter how to respect a man or disrespect him right you can teach her how to dress how to not dress you can teach her that women. I don't say women stay in the house, but women preserve themselves. Women take care of themselves. Yeah, you can still have a boyfriend, but you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to wear your shorts up here. They don't wear them down here anymore. No up here, <laughs> you know. You have to teach her those values. And then not only teach them, you have to be that for her or for him. Or is your son going to say, oh, my mom undercover, you know. Are you going to teach your son that he doesn't hit the woman? Are you going to teach your son you're passionate about it? Do you teach your son to say thank you, to say please? close the door from her, for her? Or do you teach your son, nah, she's just a trick, she's fine. I don't want you to talk to nobody. Ain't no girl ever gonna be good for you. And in the son's mind, he's like, it's never nobody gonna be good enough for me. So you run that script, where I would say, in a prime example is in the male, the young man yep. goes out with a girl, but the girl seems like, oh, this, she's the one. Right. There's, a, there's a subconscious script that says, you hear it. Yeah, she may be the one, but ain't no girls, Good Ever going to be good enough. So, so you trap your son. Now, does, I, most men can be, okay, mom, that's enough. But with men and, and moms and, and men are a little bit different in their brain growth. And it's a, the moms are important to them. Dads are important to them. So even though you ever can say, I'm not going to listen to you, nobody really wants to marry somebody and nobody, your mom doesn't like them, but she doesn't like nobody. That's a problem. I'm not saying that some people I don't like. I got two sons. Some people I'm like, no, that's not it. I don't have that issue with my sons, thank God. But you don't want for your son to be in trauma with a girl that's tripping. So sometimes the parents say, well, son, you know, think about it. But don't drill at him. She's not good for you. Nobody ever going to be good for you. Because even in him, he's like, what am I going to do? Hide, hide the girl in the closet from my mom. So I tell people, be careful how you, you talk to your son or how the mothers talk to the daughter. Get your own money. Don't know money. Let no man tell you nothing. You took it to the extreme. Yes, you can have your own money. Yes, you can do those things. When you get married, then you come together. She didn't tell him that part. Mm -hmm. So when they get together, she's giving you pure hockey sticks, mm -hmm. just trying to be together. Because in her mind, my mommy said, my mommy said, my mommy said, so. Would you say to give more facts and details and allow your child to come to their own conclusion rather than giving conclusive, like? Your own opinion. Your own opinion that may not most, a lot of times, not true. And it doesn't fit where the mm -hmm. child is going. So they, they're just living by your script. Exactly. Not building their own. Exactly. Because if some parents, again, I go back to if the parent themselves are like this, they never had nothing and their kids are, 
or they've never had nothing, no one to protect them, no one to be there for them. On their child, they overdo it. I'm here for you. You go to the bathroom, I'm here. You, you got a cough, I'm here. You don't let them breathe because you don't want them to hurt. We can overdo it as parents or we can just totally not give a dog on. You, you should, of course, instruct your child. Of course, tell them those things, but I don't care what you say. Even if you get a whooping, don't kids make their own decision? You might get a whooping for it, but their minds are growing, they're changing anyway. So it's moral and ethical. I'm not gonna let you change your mind and go rob nobody. That's just not gonna work for me. But I mean, let him choose a girl. Maybe he doesn't like the girl that you want, but he's the one that gotta live with her. They like each other, they love each other, they're not fighting. You're the only one miserable at the wedding. You've been to a wedding and the mothers are like, uh, like, your son is actually getting married, so I need you to calm down. But that's a control that they have. Sometimes the person has the problem, we put it on the child. And some of the men have to actually strong arm to get their parents. There's a time that the male comes into his own, and that's not a time you want to intervene. One of the scariest times, because sometimes they come into their own, and they're like, oh my God, what are they doing? But if he doesn't get to find his way, if he doesn't know how to get in the car and turn the key without you sitting in the back after he knows how to drive a year, you're going to stop him from growing and then raising his family and being the man to his family because you have to keep coming home to his mama. Be there for him. I'm there for my children, but I can't intervene in the choices that they make unless they're deadly. Then, of course, I'll say something. And even then, can I stop them? No, you cannot. So it really is about the mind of the person. So think about a mind that's not healed. Think about a mind that's already hurting. Then that comes and it marries the adult. What, what kind of, what's going on with the children? They're going to have children and all they're going to do is repeat. Every, and then that nation repeats. Then that nation repeats. But who's going to deal with the issue? It's like a, almost like a curse almost. It, it keeps repeating a general generation. We call it a generational curse. It's also part of the, what they call not just, it, it's attached to your genes. Yes. Even some of the emotions. Yes. Like, How they do things. Rituals, right? Things. Yes. I call it epigenetics. Yeah. I'm like my dad. I'm like so, my mom. Yeah. 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 Just, like, <laughs> I'm just like my dad. It's like your genes are written. Yeah. But usually, like, for the millennials watching, like, some people, they said, there's a quote I saw on IG or something. Okay. Instagram. Okay. It says, call your parents because they're not seeing these motivational quotes like you are on Instagram. You know, what that it's means true. is sometimes they need your encouragement. I know a lot of my friends who have this guilt for not calling their parents. Uh. So they don't call the parents to avoid the guilt of the parents. Okay. Them we never call them. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. So they don't want to hear it. Yeah, so that's me as well. Okay. Right? And okay. I've had somebody tell me that they will do the same thing. Yeah. So my assumption is that there are millions of millennials acting this very same way. Absolutely. Which they will regret. Like <laughs> Later when your mom, 30, like, when yeah. Exactly. So it will hit you really big, which causes more trauma. It does. So how do it you does. pass this guilt of guilt? <laughs> I will tell you with the millennials, they don't talk as much because my kids are millennials. Mm -hmm. I have to say I love you and I do, I, I'm interactive, but millennials really are not. They want you to know that you love them and don't ask me nothing else. I already told you I love you now. Stop. You know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I got things to do, mom. And you have to understand the millennials. There is no pattern into the way that you love someone. I just understand my children. When they're like, mom, I'll talk to you later, that means they're not ready to talk right now. <laughs> Mom, I'll be upstairs. I didn't tell you to come upstairs. You guys are raised totally different from us. And in a nation, think about our nation. Can you just go outside and be like, I'm chilling my car down the street with the keys in it? No. Can you really go hang out with a party and you're just chilling? You're not sure. Can you just be walking down the street? So you guys got more things on you than I've ever seen for children. You know, the kids have it, then the males have to have it, then you have to be... You don't know who's coming, you don't know who's going. People are walking in school. So I think that you guys have different ways that you have to cope different from us. You can't go to school and say, hey, be my friend. They're like, what's wrong with you? You have to go to school and chill. So everybody in school chilling. Mm -hmm. That's my son, I'm good. Is that the only, did that they teach you in school? That's just the only word, I'm good. How's that? And I'm gonna talk the whole sentence. Yeah, this and this and that. All right, mom, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> What do the millennials do now? Do they talk to you or do they text to you? Texting. Okay, so you guys' skills are different. And my kids will take my phone and say, Mom, my goodness, why take you so long to text? Yep, they'll text my message and send it. I'm like, you know, I could have sent it. You're taking too long. Why? Did I come from a place of texting? No. 
I came from a place of your parent tell you something, that's it, and you don't say nothing, and you better not communicate back, right? You guys come from, I have something to say, I need something to say, and you start saying it little. One, two years old, I just told you about my granddaughter, she's already, I didn't even see a phone until I was about 15, so I don't know nothing about that. They're smarter, you guys are smarter, but not necessarily wiser as far as old stuff, because you get it so young. What you guys are doing now, we didn't get to 20, late 20, 30s. By the time you guys are seven, eight, nine years old, you are fully functioned on your own. The only thing you ain't got is a driver's license. You're smart, you're quick, you learn more, but your communication is different. Like, I'm up, I'm, my daughter's upstairs, I'm down, she texts me. Why would you text me instead of coming downstairs? She would yell, Ma, check your text, right? You could have just communicated that with me. They will text sitting, have you ever seen people text this close? They're te you're looking right at me, but you will not talk to me. So that's I the millennials. That's, I think that's an issue, though. That's a problem. It's a big issue. It's a it's a obstacle that needs to be dealt with. And we I are. It's hard to break that with you guys. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you this maybe briefly, and okay. then we'll go to another question. No problem. It's like, as a mom or as a parent yes. or as a person, like, what conversation would be dear to you? Like, what would you want your kid to ask you? What would you want me to I say? Would, my kid is just like. Like, how's it going for you? When I say to my, my son, how you doing today? It doesn't mean, oh, I got up this morning, I hate life. Like, mom, you know, this part is tough of my life, and you know, I, I don't know what to do about this, you know. A regular conversation. Like what's happening. Yeah, but what happens with parents sometimes is that you're talking so much, you didn't give them a chance to talk, and then you're trying to tell, he's not, when a child's talking to you, it's not necessarily, he wants you to tell him what to do, even though you give him some instructions. He's just trying to get out and figure out, especially a male. You don't take the male and put him over there and say, do this. He's trying, he knows he has to get over there. He's vocalizing it to you, not necessarily for an answer unless you want it. Really to listen to say, okay, son, I understand. Is there anything I can help you with? No, mom, good. And that's usually the end of the conversation. Open it enough so that, that you guys talk to us, but don't try to dominate when you talk. Because that's why you don't come. You're like, oh my God, my mom's <laughs> like, oh my God, don't tell her. We as parents are not used to the millennials sometimes because we're not raised that way. We too have to learn to adapt and sometimes we don't want to. You know, you have to adapt to the text because text is faster. You, they send money by text. They, you, you, you have to put a number in and put it here. They don't let you sign into the school until you put a certain code, right? Everything, so what if I say, I'm not texting. I'm not learning. I don't want to learn the computer. What's gonna happen to me? I have to keep calling my son to come cut my computer on. So we have to bend too, just like you have to bend. So that's where the clash is. We're a little bit older and don't want to learn new. You guys are new and don't want to learn old. And yeah, we, we have to compromise. <laughs> hey, powerful person. Welcome back to the Unlimited Power Show. My name is Edward Giles and I'm sitting here with the one and only Dr. Venus Miller. Here we're discussing stigma around mental health. We're talking about trauma. And next, we're gonna to talk to you about domestic violence. So Dr. Miller, you told me that in every person, there is a great, I'd say, story that goes along until. Until, until. So what's your until? So my until, I was great until five years old. So at five years old, my father would take my mother's life from domestic violence. And I didn't know that I was impacted until I got into a little bit later on. And so because that impact happened, my father went to jail. My mother, you know, um, her life was over. And so we had to go to different homes. Already I'm five. So I'm like, where's my mom? At five years old, he's supposed to be playing with baby dolls. So I got shifted into like grow up real quick. Got into my next family's house and there was some abuse there. and. There was some physical violence, sexual violence, and emotional violence going on there. I still didn't know I was impacted, yet I grew up a little bit more, had some more of that trauma going on until it normalized for me, and I thought that's what normal life was. I still don't know that I'm impacted. And so at about 10, no, at about 12 or 13 years old, I would tell my aunt what was going on. She didn't believe me. And my, by the time my dad was out of jail, we back to my dad, and he was still with the same behavior. He just had another woman he was doing domestic violence on. Back then, you have to understand, it was not like now. Back then, you had to listen to the male. Back then, that's the way women were treated. Back then, women just took it. 
And um, I, I think that in that instance, I still didn't know I was impacted until one day I was speaking with him and my voice raised and I told him whatever. He slapped me. I was like, oh, that was hard. And I still didn't know I was impacted. And so we got into a little bit of an altercation. I still kept that stuff in. I ended up going to uh, college. I went to college and I failed out because me going to college meant I got away from that, but I hadn't dealt with my stuff. And so in college, I was, you know, talking to guy, this guy. I didn't go to class. It was the first time I said the first time someone said they love me. So you're like, ah, you know, and I failed out of college the first time. After I failed out, I went back to my aunt's house, another aunt. And my brother said, you have to get up from here. This is not going to work, you know. And so I finally got up from there, went to my first nursing school, got my first degree, got pregnant while I was in nursing school. <laughs> like I have nothing else better to do. Graduated, pregnant, failed my first exam, a nursing my RN exam. Took it over, passed it, uh, went on in that relationship for about five years. And then something else happened. He had an affair. And then boom, right then I had, think I had my first mental break became depressed, became suicidal, but I had learned how to dress very well, so I still had my jacket on. I still took care of you. I did all your medicine. You love, you love Miss, Miss Venus, but when I get home, my house was like that, and I was suicidal every day. And I had plans in my mind, if I'm gonna commit suicide, then my kids have to go with me. All the time, now I'm the smart girl, so no one ever asked me. You know, and when I finally did say something, they were like, you're too smart to be depressed, which made me more depressed. <laughs> And so I said, I took it back in, I got dressed again, I got another degree, which was my first master's from University of Miami. Maybe if I'm smart enough, I don't have to feel depressed. I was depressed, but I was dressing up my depression. So I just kept putting on more initials, you know. And so I, I got into my second marriage and that didn't work because it didn't work because I didn't want it to work. It had nothing to do with anyone else. I just was not healed and I couldn't function in a relationship. And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm going back for my other degree. Maybe this will work. So I got my psychiatric degree, my third degree. And by then, you know, now you're able to take care of yourself. You're able to cover more the more money you make. So everyone would call on me, but inside of me, I was dying. And people were like, you're good. You're fine. I just want you to come do this for me. And I would. I say all that to say this. Trauma can do all those things. And it's explosive. So I just became more explosive. I became more depressed. And before you know it, boom, I was just back out in the world doing whatever I wanted to do, being and seeing whoever I wanted to see, but totally lost. And uh, I had to come to the reality, but it was only until I was 40 years old. But I told you from 5 to 40 was just destruction. And um, if you read the Bible, I call it Damascus Road experience where someone knocks you off and you wake up and I'm like, well, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? Why am I so broken? What's wrong with me? And then I begin to go backwards in my life. I got a chance to deal with my father again and begin to ask him some questions about the domestic violence and why did that happen? I began looking at my family's history. I learned that another one of my uncles killed his wife as well. My father killed his wife. Um, then I learned later that my brothers were abusing their wives. And I be it just began, the minute I opened my mouth, I began to <clears throat> see all these things. I didn't take it like I was mad at them. I took it like I need to figure out what's going on and let me help others so they don't have to do it. But first I needed therapy, I had to get therapy for all the abuse, for all those things. I was a smart girl, but I was a broken girl. So smart wasn't good enough. You, I would rather you give me the money to bring my mother back than for me to do that. And so um, I began to heal. That's why the name of my book is called Healed because the process to get there was tough. But I couldn't help anybody till I did that. I could help you, kind of like give you medicine, but I couldn't help you. Um, and if I did help you, I help, I hurt helped you mean. I gave you advice because I was hurt, and so that's the advice you would get. No, you should leave him when you didn't get therapeutic advice. So you got professional advice, and since I had enough initials, you listened to me. But inside of me, I knew it was hurt that you were getting. And so uh, for a while, I went to church, and I thought that was it. That wasn't even it now. It is not for me now, but I used church back then to make, okay, I'm a church girl, so I can't be that hurt, and I'm okay. But I never dealt with the issue until I went to my father and asked him why he, you know, ended my mother's life. He began to tell me that he seen his father do it, and then his father did it. And all the women get treated that way. And when I look back now, I can remember all of the women got hit. I just didn't know it was abnormal. Mm -hmm. Did you forgive him? I did. I did. I, that was the place of my healing, too. I had to forgive him so I can live. Because I would 
sit by him like I'm sitting next to you, but I really didn't forgive him, but it looked better. All my kids did not know that my father had done that until later. I never told them. He's the best grandfather. I mean, they still love him. They still got his watch and other, because he loved his grandchildren. I tell people, some people don't have the ability to be a parent, have to give them another chance. And so with my kids, they had the best relationship. So I began to break the curse. My sons don't hit their wives, break the curse. They know that that's how you treat a woman, break the curse. You know that you have unforgiveness. I had to show them I had to forgive my father, not for them, but for me. I do tell people forgiveness is key. Now you can do it or not do it. But when you lay your head down at night, that person that you're, you're so mad at, it's, it's impacting you. And I didn't know it was impacting me until later my kids told me that I would cry, but they could hear me. But I would wait till they go to sleep and cry, because again, I'm protecting. I wasn't dealing with it, so I didn't really heal from it. So until that, until that happened, I think that was a breaking point for me. And I had to do some things in my life that I needed forgiveness for. I was so hard, I'm not going to forgive you. But then I did some things I needed forgiveness for. And it was like an eye opener. Everybody can make a mistake. I'm not excusing my father's behavior. I just say it was right. But he needed help, and he didn't get it. And because he didn't get the help, it impacted my mom and me and my brothers. But we're all good pretty much now. I still have one brother that's kind of like out there. Um, he never, he seen my father when he was nine and then didn't see him again until he was on the gurney. So he never got the chance I got. I was different. I took my kids to see him, but it was important that they didn't have that relationship because I know what it did to me. Some people keep their children, but I wanted them to have the best, like they don't have to deal with that animal, you know. I'd say like true forgiveness is really the act of the follow-up. Yes. You, if you said you forgive your dad, but you couldn't see his grandchildren, then yeah, you forgive him. Yes, not exactly. Him. It was pseudo forgiveness. Exactly. It's a forgiveness to make exactly. you look good, but not this not necessarily feel good. Exactly. I wanted to ask you. Yes. What would you tell yourself mm -hmm. between the tw between four and forty? Well, well, five, five and forty. Five and forty. What would you tell yourself? Knowing everything you know now, mm -hmm. the person you are now, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself holding that much unforgiveness is not worth it. Mm -hmm. It costs too much. It costs you a life you can't get back. It costs you words you, you shouldn't have said. It costs you relationship. It costs me jobs. It costs me houses. It costs me cars. It costs me things. And all because I was so angry, I was quick, and I just didn't. When you could have just sat back. I'm not saying let people run over you. I'm not saying everyone is like that, but it's not worth holding it. And I'm not even being super religious. What is it worth? Because those people go on while you sit there and you, you're depressed and you're anxious and you're, you're mad at this guy who your relationship with, and he's not your father. Mm -hmm. So why are you mad at him? Because he's a man. You know, he may have some resemblance of what your father did because you didn't get that, he's gonna get it. And so you were giving out things that don't belong to people. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness was key for me and I walk in peace with that. I still miss, I tell people, I still miss my mom. I still miss her and I wish she was here. But the fact is that she's not. And if I could do anything in her legacy, is to talk to males and females about if you're in that relationship, give it, get help or let them have help. Not only is it gonna hurt you, possibly kill you, but it will impact your children. If your children don't get help, it's gonna impact their children. So you can stop it now. I don't say that you have to bow down to them, but do yourself a favor. I'd say like what you hold in holds you. Yes, it does. And when you let it out, it hits someone else. Yeah. So yeah. that's why sometimes it, it's best to voluntarily let things flow in it's and true. out of your life so that it doesn't, it's true. doesn't just hold you. Hold I don't, you. another thing that's big for me, and everyone says I'm such a realist, if something's really, really bothering me, I no longer say I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I say I'm not okay, but let me check my okay. Meaning that I'm not okay, but it may not mean that you're doing anything. I may not be okay because it bothers me because of something else. Let me check me. I always tell people before I come back to you. Because mm -hmm. maybe what I'm seeing is not right. Mm -hmm. Before I blame you. And you have nothing to do with it. Before I kick you out or divorce you. For what? Because the biggest thing is when we have to check us, we don't want to be wrong. So I have, no, I, have no, I have no problem apologizing, but I also have no problem checking me. Especially if I get really angry. What are you really angry about? Because I can't change you. Well, I'm going to change you. No. So I can change me. So let me approach it differently. That's my maturity in it all. But when I was young, I'm hot-headed. 
I'm quick. I don't care. But how many I don't care is you going to do? Before people start saying, I don't want to be around you. You're a nice looking girl, but you're nasty. I don't be around you. And I start getting that back. And I tell people, don't pretend. Because somebody asked me one time, had I forgiven him? I said, no, I actually resent him right now. And I don't like him, and I'm not speaking to him. And then I would cry about that, then I'd say, okay, I'm good now. You know, I, just get, I had to get it out, you know. And now I don't have that. I don't have that with me. And I, I'm grateful for that, that I got a chance to apologize or I got a chance to, to have some kind of relationship. And we never had a relationship like a true mother and fa uh, mother, uh, father and daughter because I missed 40 years, 30, I don't know how many years with him. But whatever I had left, I, I gave my children to him. And that was a blessing to see. So that's the only gift I can tell you, you know. And, and if you could do one heroic act, right, to save the 35 years. Mm -hmm. And I won't say it's all of it's a waste. Yeah, yeah, no, no, life. No, 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 None of it is a waste. <laughs> it's a great, it's a life that you have. And just right. having it right. is a blessing. Right. But you know the quality of that could be better. Yes. Right? Yes. So if you had a heroic act, a message to save 35 years, mm. what would that be? I, it would be, Daddy, it's okay. That's what I would say, it's okay. And not make him feel more worse than he did. And in your youth, you think you're all that, so you're trying to hurt people. I wouldn't have wasted my time. I would have said, Daddy, it's okay. And I don't know what, now that I know what I know, I know something happened. That's why it happened. And it was not entirely your fault. I know he did the act. But when you were young and violent, somebody should have helped you. But, Dad, we're going to work on this together and so that your grandsons will never do it. And that pe people will realize that. It will, it will, I would have to say, Dad, you're, it's okay, and not hold him that long. That was too long. So that would be my Mainly argument. confronting and accepting the trauma, in a sense? Yes. That in itself would save it. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't really have those experiences. I wouldn't even be wasting my time. Every time I see him, you get a whole attitude. He's and, here. You and know? how do we take that? And as your final message, okay. what would be your message to someone to tell them, listen, your trauma is traumatic, and it has been the pain in your life. But how do you, t what would you tell somebody, take that pain and turn it into progress? To yes. Take that pain and produce the life that you want on yes. the basis of what you don't want. That's correct. Life. That's correct. How would, what would your last message be to someone? My last message would be to, my last message to anyone that's right here, my last message to anyone that's dealing with trauma or hurt is to first, you know, deal with it. If you can, go to the person and talk to them, even after cry, do whatever, write it down, do that, because it releases you. I'm telling you, like I, someone had to tell me, it doesn't, telling someone you forgive them does not take away the fact that they did it. They did. But don't know, doesn't nobody know they did it more than them? So I want you to understand that holding on to that holds you and hurts you. So release them and, and you know, be free. You're going to see it's much better. Try it. It's scary, too, because I was scared, because that means they won. No, it means you win. You win back you. And you don't, no one gets a chance to take that away from you ever again. So give them a chance. Well, um, if you want to see me or my name, my name is Venus Miller on Facebook. You can always inbox me. But I just have a passion. I have two things going on right now. Healed is my book. Um, Time to Talk for Real is my platform. Um, I go to schools, I go to churches, I have an event that's going on tomorrow too. And I just really talk to hurting women and my focus is healing because it releases them to be them. And so healed is about me, but it's not about me. It's about me and my process, but it walks you through the places you may need to get. And it may take you five days on one page, 10 days on another, a year on another one. Whatever your process is to your healing, just start it and every day it will get better. So I do that. I think my specialty is is opening up people to live again, to be healed and to be free and look at me, you know, and telling people, I don't want you to waste one more day. I, waste, I keep saying wasting, but it took me over 30 years and I can't get those years back, but I can give someone. That's my gift. I want to give to you. Don't do it. Enjoy your life. Enjoy yourself. Be healed even though it happened and it did. You have the ability to live again. They already took something from you, take it back and unplug the source of pain that goes with it. You know, so I, I do that. I do private consultation or everything is under my name. And my passion is doing what I'm doing right now, sharing with the world. Again, I'm not taking away the violence. It was nasty. The domestic violence, sexual violence is nasty. 
but I have children now. I have me. If I had no children, I need to live. Somebody's watching me. And I also practice psychiatry because I, I want to get to the mind of people that's hurting so bad on another level. I went back for my doctor to reach the higher levels because they're hurting up there and it's coming down here because it started here. Up, up there. there. It's coming oh, down right. here, but it started so, here. That's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Life. Thank that you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Love it. Love it. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Unlimited Power Show. Uh, as Dr. Venus Miller shed her light, I hope any of the things she said sparked light in your soul and sparked light on the experiences that you're going through and the mindset that you can see the things you haven't seen before. If anything she said today touched you, don't take it lightly. Change direction. Sometimes words are simply tools of inspiration to allow you to change direction. And in changing direction, you can change destination. We yes. can't change your destination. We can only alter your direction. But if yeah. you don't use what we just talked about, just common human experiences yep. that brought on lessons, if you don't use it, then you lose the impact of this time that you've invested. Don't That's waste correct. the time you've invested, more time. right? So remember this. This is always the last thing I say. You have the unlimited power to do what you can, which what you want to do with your life, to live a life that you are look back and say, I lived all my life. That's right. Right? That's right. But you have to believe that you do and that you're worth that. That's right. That your past didn't determine that. Your trauma is not making you. That's right. Not a so make your memory. That's right. Your sum of possibilities. That's right. But until Love you that. do that, remember that, memorize that, the world will forever miss all your talents, all your gifts, all the great things that you have to offer. So like we did today, share your light, don't hide it, don't dim it. My name is Edward Giles and my pleasure to serve you. Peace.